Hey, thanks for joining us for the Celebration Church podcast. I have a quick announcement before the message starts. Starting February 16th, we're beginning our new service times at 9 a.m. and 1045. I encourage you, if you're in the area and you're looking for a church family, come join us Sunday mornings and we'll have the doors open, coffee ready, and we'll save you a seat. We'd love to have you and get to know you more personally. Well, now on to today's message. Good to see you guys in church on Sunday. How you doing? All right. We got any uh, Chiefs fans in the house? All right. We got three. Come on, somebody. We got, we got any 49ers? Any 49ers fans? How, how many people are Seahawks fans and you just don't really care? All right. We got any Raiders fans? Come on. <laughs> there, we, there we go. We got some Raider fans. All right. Good. Good. Hey, um, I, I'm excited about the Super Bowl. I, I love the Super Bowl. It's, it's a lot of fun. Um, I don't really care about football. I just like a good excuse. How's this this afternoon? Uh, it'd be fun. We just finished a series we called Hallways. Um, and I, uh, I, I would just tell you, um, we've had more feedback on that series than um, we have on a lot of them. And I would say it's probably worth your while to go listen to the podcasts. Um, that's not me being self, uh, self-promoter because, quite frankly, I don't like to hear myself. Uh, anybody else like that, you don't like to hear a recording of yourself. Um, but I do know that we've had enough feedback that, that I would say it would likely be good for you. So, uh, so go back and listen to that. And right now we're in between series. So normally we do a series, then we do another series. Um, but right now we're in between them. We're, we're going to do a series on relationships here in a moment on uh, helping us with our relationships and our marriage and being single, all that fun stuff. Um, and right now I get to preach on whatever I want. So <laughs> that's always fun, which is what I do anyway, right? I just make it a series and do whatever I want. <laughs> anyway, but, um, but I'm just super excited about, um, about today uh, because I really feel like this is one of, the, one of the keys to your walk with God is what I'm going to talk about today. There's really two things that the enemy of your soul uh, is after. There, there's two things that, that he will attempt to break down in your life, uh, in your, especially in your institutions, in, in your life, institutions. By that I mean like your church, your family, and government. These three, these, these two things he'll always break down. And one is unity. Uh, the enemy of our soul, the accuser of the brethren, is always after unity. He wants to tear down unity. Isn't it amazing how um, just one conversation or just one misunderstanding or just whatever it might be, and the next thing you know, there's disunity in your family. Maybe your wife is a 49ers fan and you're a Chiefs fan. <laughs> Something. But what I'm saying is like unity is important in the kingdom of God. It's important in our government. It's important in our churches. And the enemy is always after unity. The next thing that he's always after is a thing called worship. <clears throat> He wants to stop you from worshiping. He wants you to have an intellectual faith that, uh, that is very reserved and calm. And, and the reason is this, is because the power of your worship, that's, that's where God shows up. The Bible says that he lives there. It says he lives in the praises of his people. If you're King James, it says he inhabiteth the praises of his people. And so today I want to talk about this idea of worship, because I, 
I'll just tell you this. In my walk with God, there have been few things as beneficial for me as learning how to worship God when I didn't feel like it and when I did feel like it. So here's, a, here's where I'm at. In Acts chapter 16, verse 25, we find two guys named Paul and Silas. It says, around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and they were singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening and suddenly there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations and all the doors immediately flew open and the chains of all the prisoners flew off. The jailer, you guys are like, okay, <clears throat> I think it's awesome. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open and he assumed prisoners had escaped. So he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted and he said, don't, or he said, stop, don't kill yourself. We are all still here. And the jailer called for lights and he ran to the dungeon and he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and he asked them, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Nothing more direct than that question. And they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved along with everyone in your house. What a promise from God that is. That, that your actions towards God don't just affect you, but there's a promise from God that goes to you and to your children and to your children's children and all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God should call, he wants them all to be saved. <clears throat> it's Paul and Silas in this weird predicament. They're in prison. In fact, the verses before this say that they had been beaten by the crowd and then they'd been beaten by the police officers and then they got thrown in jail. You ever end up in a, a difficult situation, in a hard time, and you discovered that you could still worship God in the middle of your frustration? Have you ever been at your wit's end and understood that like, you know what, you can, life can be going wrong, but life can also be good. Like it's this weird paradox, this weird uh, tightrope that we walk sometimes between everything going good and everything going bad. <clears throat> you know what I'm saying? Like, like a lot of good things going on in my life right now, but, but there's also areas that really frustrate me. I don't know about you, but for me, it's rarely, rarely is my life all good and all sunshiny and everything perfect. And it's rarely that my life is devastating and everything's going wrong. It really doesn't seem that life is so much hills and valleys. It's more like Rick Warren says. He says life is more like a highway with good things going in one direction. Everything seems to be working out well in one direction. But the oncoming traffic it brings us the bad things at the same time. It's like we're juggling frequently. We juggle the good things in life. We juggle the kid that gets an ace and the kid that won't do their homework, you know? Like, like it's, it's a juggle. It's the good and the bad together. And I want to tell you today that you can worship God even when life is not perfect. You can experience the goodness of God even in your darkest moments. And so today, that's, that's my goal is to help you get to this place where you understand that you can experience God no matter how low you feel. I guarantee that you, if you took a moment, you could think back on the goodness of God in your life. Yeah. 
And no matter how, uh, is, is that my mic doing weird things? <clears throat> and boom, I'm just going to yell. We're going to get old timey. I guarantee you can always come back to the idea that God is faithful. Even when things don't seem to have worked out well or or things seem to to be discouraging, we can always take a moment and look back on the, the points in time when God did show up in our situations. It's like this. If we're in a difficult time, we can look back. The Bible says this in Revelation, that we're saved by the blood of the Lamb and by the words of our testimony. What I'm saying is you might be in the hardest season of your life, but maybe what you need to do is open your mouth and begin to express your testimony. Talk about the moments that God arrived in your life and you'll discover that you will be saved, not just by the blood of the lamb. Yes, by the power of Jesus Christ, you're saved, but you're also saved when you look back and you recognize that blood's power in your life. You can worship God even though you're struggling. You can worship God even though things are hard. <clears throat> I think one of the reasons that we don't worship the Lord is often simply because we, uh, we, we like to think that things should be the way they once were. You know what I mean? Like, like I would worship the Lord if my old worship leader was leading the worship. Like, I would worship the Lord if we sang that hymn that we used to sing back in the day that really moved me on the inside. Then I would feel the presence of God, and then I would move. Like, I would worship the Lord if, if it was, like, the old way. And here's what I'm here to tell you today is that, like, the old days weren't really the good old days. That's just like selective memory. The, the, the old days, we may gloss them over, but uh, you, you can sugarcoat the old days, but they're really not that great. So the enemy of your soul can rob the worship that's inside of you by getting you to think that if things were just like they were, then you could really encounter God. And he also prevents us from experiencing God by getting us to fantasize about the future. If, if things would just work out just right, if God would answer my prayer, if she would just turn to the Lord, then, then I'd ask her on a date and worship God. Ah, like, like we think that if the future was perfect, God would somehow be able to move and, and then we would, we would begin to worship the way we've always wanted to worship. And I'm telling you, stop sugarcoating the past and stop fantasizing about the future because the Bible calls him Emmanuel, God with us. That doesn't mean God in the future, God in the past. It means God right now. I'm here to tell somebody, worship him for who he is right now, <clears throat> right now. You, um, we go through difficult seasons and difficult times, and I think sometimes we just don't get aggravated enough at life. I think we just deal with, we just deal with the enemy of our soul affecting our families and our churches and our institutions, and we just, we just think that it is what it is. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna allow lies to get stuck in my head that will prevent me from true intimacy with my spouse. I'm just gonna allow lies to get stuck in my head about what somebody else thinks or does, and it's gonna prevent me from reaching out. And what I'm saying is like, like we just don't get angry enough sometimes. 
I know I yell a lot. I'm not angry <laughs> now, but I was raised by this stuff. Anybody, anybody like this stuff right here? Uh, there we go. Come on. <clears throat> you know what I'm saying? Like, that's the real deal right there. Uh, that's, that's, that's back when fighting was fighting. This, this was what it was really all about back in the day. This is, you know, there's nothing quite like a Hulk Hogan showing up and, you know, are you, what are you going to do when the Hulk mania runs all over you? You know, it's good. Brother, you better eat your vitamins and say your prayers, brother. Oh, I used to love this stuff as a kid. I, 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 we didn't really have a TV at home, but I would always sneak over to my friend's house to watch WWF, and it, it was great stuff. I, I remember I used to love it when it would be tag teams, and they're going back and forth, and people are getting punched, and they're jumping from the top ropes, and it was so real. It was so just amazing. And then you'd see, like, one of your favorite guys is, is, is like, the, the, the other team is cheating. There's somebody that's not tagged in, and he's, like, reaching underneath the ropes, and he's, like, grabbing his ankle or something, and, and you're just like, no, like, just just tag, just tag in. And your guy's like stretching across the floor, waiting to, trying to tag to his partner across the side. And then and he, you can see he's never going to make the tag. And finally, Hulk Hogan just gets angry. You know, like a Hulk Hogan grabs himself off folding chair, doesn't do the tag and just comes running across. Boom. Like, like that's the best. I'm saying sometimes we wait for everything to be perfect in our lives until everything's tagged in just nice and cute. And the truth is this, you'd probably have more spiritual movement in your life if you quit waiting for the perfect tag at the perfect moment in the right season and you grabbed yourself a chair and you run across the hallway of life and you smack the enemy that's been bothering your family or, or your life. I'm telling you, there's power in somebody who just gets annoyed at what the devil does. I don't, that sounds really weird to me. No, 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 this passage, Acts chapter 16, that's what it's all about. Paul and Silas were, uh, they were on a missionary journey in a place called Philippi. And the Bible says that as they were in Philippi, there was this, this young woman who was demon possessed. I don't know if I believe in that preacher. That's, that's okay, don't believe in it. <clears throat> but I believe in it. And the Bible says there's this woman, this demon possessed, and the way that was expressing itself to them was she was saying like, oh, here come the men of God to declare the wonders of the Lord. She's mocking them. And the Bible says that after several days, so she's been following them around, mocking them for several days. And finally, it says Paul became so annoyed. Everybody say annoyed. He became so annoyed that he turns around to her and says, come out of her in the name of Jesus Christ. I'm saying everybody else knew there was a problem. Everyone else understood this woman was struggling with something. But Paul became annoyed enough that he acted on his faith. This, this, uh, this is actually, uh, this is, this, for me, this is amazing. Because sometimes you may see something that other people just don't see. And sometimes you might be bothered with something that other people aren't bothered with. And it's okay to get annoyed enough that you come at the devil. <clears throat> they see this miracle. This girl is delivered from the demons that possessed her. And 
the crowd, instead of doing what we would expect them to do, like I would expect if I delivered someone from a demon in front of a crowd, the crowd would be like, woo, you're amazing. Like, ah, we're all coming to your church. That's, that's not what they do. The Bible says what they do is they pick up sticks and, and they begin to beat Paul and Silas and they call the cops and they say, these guys are stealing our money. They, well, let's go ahead and beat them some more and then let's throw them in prison. So Paul and Silas have done what is right and they end up being punished for it. Can I say that sometimes doing what is right comes with negative consequences? Can I say that sometimes to have integrity means that you will lose a little bit of money? Can I say that sometimes doing what is right means you might lose a little face and not have to defend yourself? Like sometimes doing what is right looks like persecution. And Paul and Silas end up in a prison. They end up in a difficult place. And it's there that the Bible says they sing hymns and pray. They're in this balance between saying, oh, dear God, save us. Dear God, rescue us. And this other side where they're saying, the Lord is good and his mercies endure forever. You ever been there? In between, in between, like, God help me. And the other side is, God, I know you can do all things. Romans chapter five, verse three says it like this. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing the suffering produces endurance, or King James would say patience. <clears throat> he says, we rejoice in our sufferings. We rejoice in our struggles. We rejoice in our trials. Anybody thankful? No, you're not. Don't lie. Don't lie. <clears throat> Here's the deal. Here's the deal. He doesn't say we rejoice after our struggles. He doesn't say we rejoice and, and ask for our struggles. He says, your struggles are going to come, and we rejoice in the struggles. We're not saying we're going to wait till it's finally finished, and then I'm going to say, now it's finally done, and I got my testimony. No, we rejoice. This is one of the unique markers of believers, that we can be thankful to God in the middle of a hard marriage. Like We can be thankful to God in the middle of feeling dry spiritually. We can be thankful, and we can worship God in the middle of financial difficulty. Like It's not natural. When you go to Wells Fargo, and they just added an extra fee to your bank account, and it's all red, and you're like, thank you, Jesus. But it's the mark of a believer that would say that. It's a mark of a believer that says, you are working all things out for my good. And what I don't see right now does not determine what you are going to do in my life. <clears throat> he works all things out for good. <clears throat> the truth is that our struggles are, are, are really this this deal where, where, where the enemy of your soul, he uses the struggles of your life to take something from you. And somebody right now is like, I don't know. You talk about demons a lot. You talk about enemy of my soul a lot. And what I'm telling you is like, <clears throat> I believe in that. And I would say, if you, if you read your Bible, you would discover the Bible teaches that. He said, but you don't understand, God is sovereign and, and he can do all things. I agree with you, but yet I would also say there are some things that even Jesus battled with demons. I'm saying that, that, that sometimes we face things that we think, oh, no, it's, this is just life. I'm telling you, sometimes it's not just life. 
I'm trying. The devil isn't after your, your battery in your car. You know what I'm saying? Like you go out to start your car and you're like, click, 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 click. Oh, the devil is after my battery. He's not after your battery. Could care less about your battery. You know, you're like, like middle of July and like you hear the air conditioner. Speeds of sweat coming down. The devil wanted my AC. No, the devil doesn't want your AC. What the devil wants is to take your praise and worship from your mouth. He wants your tongue. That's what he wants. If he can get you to give him your tongue, then he wins. I'm telling somebody that in the middle of your AC going out in the middle of July, if you would just rejoice in God in the middle of that struggle, you'll discover power in God. In the middle of when, when things don't seem to work out, when you bounce that check to the do the, the the internet company and now you're without Wi-Fi, God forbid, for a whole two weeks. Like in that moment, in that moment, rejoice. You'll do fine without Netflix, I promise. <laughs> Here's the deal. Worship is a skill. It's not a feeling. This is where we get it off. We, we think, as long as I feel it, I'll worship God. Worship is not a feeling. Worship is a skill. It is a behavior that is developed. You practice it even when you don't feel it so that when you do feel it, you can do it with excellence. And there's a lot of things that you do in life that require skill. And somebody's like, I don't want to do anything that I don't feel. That doesn't, I don't, that's not being honest. That's not being true to who I am. Neither is using your turn signal. And all the people from Middleton said, amen. You guys are out there like, everybody from Middleton's like, like, what's this? What is this? This is not even, that's not even a thing. Go back to the DMV. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, folks. <clears throat> for, for those of you that are skeptical about the Californians coming in, here's one thing is we will get better driving. I'm just saying, I'm just saying. Like, <laughs> don't throw things at me. Don't throw things at me. <laughs> But here's the deal. Here's the deal. There are things that you do in life that are skills that you may not feel. You're like, that's just not authentic to me. Like, I see the way that she throws her hands up. I never feel like throwing my, my hands up. I see them worshiping and singing with their mouth open. Like, I don't, that's not true to who I am. There's a lot of things you do that are not true to who you are, but you do it because it's the right thing to do in the right environment. That's just hypocritical. Have you ever been to the Caldwell Night Rodeo? You went and got the biggest brim hat you ever got, and you went and got a brand new pair of Justin boots that you've never got dirty in your life, pretending you a cowboy. <laughs> because it's the right thing to do in that environment. Like, like that's going through the motions, and that's okay. We want you to wear a cowboy hat at the rodeo. Like, it, it's going through the motions, and it's fine. It's getting you where you're supposed to go. It's like the, the Super Bowl coming up. Everybody's, ah, Super Bowl. Like, you haven't made an hors d'oeuvre in a year, and yet today, tonight, you're going to be like the coolest queen of hors d'oeuvres. You're on Pinterest for the past week figuring out creative things to do. That's going through the motions. That's not being authentic to who you really are. And I'm telling you, like, you can have an encounter with God and say, you know what? This may not be how I feel right now. This may not be my reality right now. But I'm going to be true to what God is doing. 
trying to preach on a Super Bowl Sunday. I understand, like, it may not be your cultural background. It may not be your, your preference. But what I'm saying is God requires worship. And the enemy of your soul tries to steal your worship. So if you want, you want success in your walk with God, if you want victory in your walk with God, the Bible says he inhabits your praises. So when he feels far, what you do is worship him. You don't think about him. You don't ponder him. You don't come with neat analytical ideas. You lift your hands towards heaven. You throw your body on the ground. You sing at the top of your voice. You do whatever it is that you recognize as worship, and I promise God will show up. That's really weird. Like, preacher, why would I raise my hands? It's just that I don't understand how that somehow creates something with God. Like, I agree. It's weird. But the Bible tells us to lift our hands in the sanctuary. And if the Bible said to do somersaults in the sanctuary, this dude would do it. You're like, okay, I was right. You are weird. (laughs) When you're going through a difficult place, when the marriage is not working out right, when the finances are not coming together, when you are working so hard that you're unemotion, you're emotionally unavailable. I'm telling you, there's a place you can run, and it has an answer for all of that. And that place is the presence of God, and it shows up through worship. It's incredible to me how people, I've just observed people's worship is usually a direct correlation to the amount of rescue that God has given them. I've seen people who were rescued in an intellectual way. They, they had this, this sort of like this very sophisticated deliverance with God. And so their worship is, is reserved and it's calm. And it's very like, it's very heady. And I've, I've met people that were saved from drugs and deliverance and prostitution. And, and I'm telling you, those people, they, they're not very reserved in their, in their worship. You want to know why? Because the level of deliverance God gives you is corresponding to the amount of worship or the type of worship you give. I'm saying it's okay if the person next to you freaks you out when they worship God, because that tells you that God did a great work in them. That tells you there's hope for you because maybe you can experience some sort of freedom in your life because you see that someone else has freedom in their life. The children of Israel, this is in 2 Chronicles. Uh, it's this story of, of, of a battle. It's chapter 20. They, they are going to battle. They're vastly outnumbered. The enemy has multiple armies and is surrounding them and going to defeat them. And the night, the, the Lord speaks to the, the, the general, and he basically says, you're not going to go to battle this time with swords, with chariots, with horses, with shields. You're, you're not going to go into the battle fighting. But what you're going to do is you're going to go into this battle singing. Like, I remember in junior high, like, our school had this skateboard park next to the school, and all the fights were in what they called the pit. Like, same time Mortal Kombat came out, so it was not a really healthy thing for junior high kids. Thankfully, the hospital was across the street, right? And... 
but but I remember like you'd see a fight, and a fight was never like people like, oh, thank the Lord, He is good, His faithfulness endures forever. Because when we fight, it's all about doing something right now. But the Lord says, if you're going to win the battle, you're going to go into this battle singing. And the children of Israel go into the battle with the, the people of Judah leading it. And as they're, as they're moving into the battle, the Bible says, no swords are glistening, no shields are clanging, but they just begin to sing. They begin to sing this song. I don't know if it's a song they made up on the spot or a song that they knew from somewhere, but it says, give thanks to the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord for his mercy endures forever. And somewhere inside of them, a level of faith began to increase. As someone said, give thanks to the Lord. We're about to get just, you know, we're about to get destroyed. But thanks to the Lord, his mercy endures forever. Like, thanks to the Lord. Like, these other guys, they're mean and they got sharp teeth. But thanks to the Lord, his mercy endures forever. I'm here to tell somebody today, maybe you've been fighting your fight. But what you could really get benefit from is saying, you know, I'm going to stop fighting the fight, I'm going to find my voice. I'm going to worship God even when I don't feel like it. I'm going to sing out loud because God hears our voices. I was at a elementary school dance <clears throat> earlier this week. It was, it was an incredible dance. They did so good playing tag in the dark. <laughs> so impressed. And at one point, the DJ turns on the song. Um, you might have heard it. It sounds like this. I'm like, I got my horses in the bag. <laughs> and like this mob of little, little runts, they're all like this tall, and they're just like... Ain't nobody gonna tell me nothing. Nobody tell me nothing. Nobody gonna tell me nothing. And, and like, they all knew the song. They were all singing it. And like, I get it. It was cute. It was funny. But really, think about it. Where's the voices? The voices are saying, nobody gonna tell me nothing. Imagine if all those kids were singing something like this. I'm gonna see the victory. I'm going to see a victory for the battle belongs to you, Lord. There is power when we begin to speak praises to God with our mouths. It changes things. It really does change things when we worship the Lord. <clears throat> so we can worship him even when things aren't going well. Why are you so happy? Oh, I'm not happy. I just got my car repoed. Thank you, Jesus. Why are you singing? I don't, I don't know why I'm singing. I'm always sick, but you know what? Thank the Lord. He's good, <clears throat> right? Why are you giving so much? I don't have all the money, but I give because I know that the Lord is good and his faithfulness endures forever. Like I'm, I'm here for the Lord. I'm not here for me. So Paul and Silas, we see them in this prison cell. They did what was right and were punished for it. Discouraging. And I would imagine there was some sort of internal conversation where maybe Paul, I'm taking liberty here, so, but maybe Paul leaned over to Silas and was like, hey, <clears throat> you know, I, I read in Solomon, it, it does not say that the power of life and death is 
in my hands. Like, I know they bound our hands, but oh, we got chains on our hands, but the power of life and death is, is not in our hands. He said, no, you're right. It's not in our hands. He said, well, we got chains on our feet. Well, the power of life and death is, Solomon does not say the power of life and death is in our feet. Someone probably leans over and he says, hey, you know what? Those dudes forgot to put duct tape on our mouths. Because the Bible says the power of life and death is on your tongue. And these guys begin to sing. And I don't know what their, sound, their song sounded like, but I'm telling you what, somebody that's in desperate need, somebody that's been persecuted, somebody that's in a dark time in life, when they begin to worship God, you feel it. They begin to worship the Lord and the power of God moves in the room so heavy that the walls break and all the doors bust off and every prisoner is set free. The Bible says that everything in Hebrews, everything that can be shaken will be shaken. Have you ever wondered why it is that that area of your life that you think you finally got secured, the thing you finally put your hope in, your trust in, and it shakes and it falls apart, and you're like, what in the world? This was supposed to last. This was supposed to work out. The reason it's shaking and it's breaking is so that you would recognize there's only one thing in your life that when it's shook, it does not break. And it is God. It is the kingdom of heaven in your world. The one thing that when life shakes, it does not fall apart. So they're singing, God shows up. But you don't understand, I, I don't have a reason to worship God. I've heard it said like this, sometimes you have to praise God on credit because God is a debtor to no man. What I'm saying is you can worship God in the hardest of times. The jailer walks in the Bible says he pulls out a sword and he begins, he's getting ready to kill himself. And Paul says a phrase to him. It's, it's a three-part phrase. If you're taking notes, you don't have to take notes from anything else I said. Take notes on this. Because if you're in the darkest season of your life and your world has been, just been shook, shook and things are falling apart, Paul has some words for you. The first is this. Stop. Whatever you're doing, stop. Just stop. You know, sometimes we think that we've got to have motion. We just want to have some momentum in some direction, and it's not in the right direction. Paul, Paul says, just stop. Just don't do another thing. Just stop. This jailer, he's pulling out a sword, and we don't understand why he would pull out a sword to kill himself. Well, let me explain it. Because he's a Roman jailer in Philippi. And in Rome, if your prisoners escaped you, you would then have to take the punishment that the prisoner was due. And if it's a whole jailhouse full of people, you're taking on a lot of punishment. And Rome wasn't known for housing prisoners for long. Most of the time, they would kill them. And this man realizes that Rome is looking to exact judgment. 
Rome is looking for justice. And they're going to take it out of him, but he knows that since it's an entire jailhouse, they're likely going to take out the justice on his family as well. This man, recognizing that his family is truly lost, pulls out a sword, hoping that in some scenario, a Roman official would recognize that he had some sort of sense of justice and he took his own life and would leave his family alone. That's what's, that's what's going on. It's amazing how when fear gets in our lives, fear will make us do ridiculous things. Fear will make us do things that seem logical and yet they are destructive. And Paul says, stop, just, just don't do anything. So I would tell somebody today, like, what is it that fear, like, are, are, you, are you afraid of what somebody thinks or says about you? Don't act on that. Like, are you afraid of, uh, of, of the, you, maybe you confess to somebody something and you feel like they shared, so now you're never gonna be vulnerable with somebody else again. I'm telling you, that's destructive. Like, like maybe you feel like, I, I, I'm just gonna, you know, I, I come to church and I feel like I don't have my spot. What I'm saying is, go, like, don't be afraid and then run. Like, instead, dig deep. Like, don't be afraid. Nobody, I don't know anybody in church, so now I'm just going to run. No, 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 no. What you do is you dig deep wells. You don't do things based on fear. Don't do things based on fear. Stop. Wait until you hear the voice of God. And then the next thing he says is this, do not kill yourself. Stop doing whatever you're doing. King James says it like this, do not harm yourself. Don't do yourself harm. When we're in a place of frustration and panic and fear, we think we have to do something fast, something now. And Paul's saying, don't hurt yourself. It's the darkest moment of the day. It's, it's the darkest season you've ever been through, but that doesn't mean you do self-harm. I'm here to tell somebody today, like, like our valley, like thankfully, thank you, Jesus, that our city, Nampa, did not have one homicide last year. Not one. That's amazing for a city over 100,000 people. That's absolutely incredible. But the other side of that coin is we've had a lot of suicides. And I want to tell somebody today, do yourself no harm. Stop what you're doing. Do yourself no harm. That's an eternal solution to a temporary problem. I'm saying like, like you, in your darkest season, like just because everything is hard in your marriage and it's, it's don't self-destruct your marriage just because you're frustrated. Like, like don't self-destruct, don't harm your, your career just because you're mad at your boss. What I'm saying is don't do yourself harm in your dark seasons. And I can speak from experience. I remember when, when my wife and I, we, we were um, transitioning out of a denomination that we were in previously. And as, as we were leaving, it was hard for us because all of our relationships, all of them were gone. And it felt like every minister that we'd ever built credibility with, all of that was gone in a, in a moment, in a season. And we felt incredibly alone. We spent our entire adult life building credibility and building uh, relationships with people. And they were all gone overnight. And I'm not a victim. It was my choice. But here's the deal. Like, it's a scary place to be when you feel like no one's with you. And we began, we, we, we said, well, what we're going to do, we're just going to sell everything we own and we're going to move. And we sold everything we own that didn't fit in our car. Let me tell you this. Don't do that. <laughs> don't do yourself harm. 
Because you're going to be buying an iron later. You're going to be buying silverware later. I remember we moved here and, and we didn't have anything. We, we, we moved here just as a place to heal and to get better, but we were in the darkest season we'd ever been through. And thank the Lord there was a family in the church that, that hired me. All I knew how to do was preach. And this man said, hey, how about I give you a hammer and teach you how to roof? <laughs> like, thank you, Jesus. But I was in the darkest season of my life. I didn't know how I was gonna ever get out of it. I felt like me making a move like that was me forfeiting ever doing what I felt called to do again. And I remember I was, I was at the YMCA working out. During that time, the doctor had actually told me, he said, you've got too much stress. You can either take some pills or you can start working out. I said, all right, I'll start working out. And so I went to the YMCA and uh, I was talking about this with somebody yesterday. Thankfully, I got my membership at the YMCA before I got my job. So the whole, like it was subsidized down to like $30 or something. Like it was crazy. But I remember I, I got there in the first couple of weeks I was here, I was devastated. I felt terrible. I felt alone. And there was this guy on the decline bench press. And he was doing the same exercise, same weights that I would use. And so I walked over to him. And you got to realize I'm, I'm this little white kid from Alaska. I'm a little white kid from northern Canada. And this guy had tattoos all over his neck. He had tattoos on his face. This guy looked hard. In fact, <clears throat> he looked like a cholo. This guy had obviously been involved in gangs. I said, hey, you mind if I mix in with you? I'm doing the same weight. He said, yeah, get in here. I got down. I'm telling you, I was in the darkest moment of my life. I, I, I get down. And I start to, and all I'm trying to do is keep my sanity, keep my mind from going crazy again. So I'm exercising. I start to push the, the, the bench press up and the guy says, stop. God just told me to tell you this. You just walked away from every relationship that you had. You walked away from every bit of security that you had. And God is telling me to tell you that you are being connected with the people of God that you're supposed to be connected with right now. You are in the right place at the right time. He did not know me from anyone else in the gym. And here's what I'm here to tell you. In your darkest season, don't do yourself harm because it's in the darkest season. That Philippian jailer is thinking, I, it's time. I just killed myself. I've just sabotaged my marriage. I've just sabotaged my family. I've ruined everything. I'm done. And in that moment was when the Philippian jailer was about to experience the greatest cluster of miracles he'd ever experienced in his life. He was about to see Paul and Silas through worship erupt a prison. He was about to see people freed from their chains. And more importantly, he was about to see his entire family saved. It was in the darkest moment of his life that God showed up and said, no, this is not the darkest season. I show up in unexpected ways. I show up to little white kids from Canada as a tattooed face dude in the YMCA in Caldwell. I show up and I make a difference in ways that you never saw. You thought it was the darkest season of your life. And God says, no, this is when I pour out my blessings. The third thing he tells him is this. He says, we're all here as the band would come. He says, we're all here. 
This Philippian jailer thought he was alone. He thought everybody had run out of the jail. And Paul says, no, we're, we're all here. Maybe you feel like you're alone. Like you don't have your people. You don't have your tribe. Maybe you feel like you just happen to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. Or maybe you're in the right place at the wrong time. Or you're in the wrong place at the right time. Paul says, no, we're, we're all here. We didn't leave you. You got people. We're not all running away so that you have to get hurt or your family is harmed. No, we're, we're all with you. I want you to know if your marriage is struggling, you're not alone. You got people. You know, if you're feeling like like you don't like you're single and you don't have people, I want you to know you're not alone. There's people. God shows up in the strangest of times. He says you're not alone. You're in the right place at the right time. It's interesting that from Genesis to Revelation. There is a continuous narrative. There's always a desert before a promised land. There's always drought before the rain. There's always a temptation before ministry. And there's always a cross before an empty tomb. I'm here to tell somebody today that you are in the right place at the right time. Stop. Don't hurt yourself. Don't self-sabotage. We're here together. Would you stand with me all across the room? Jesus, Lord, we turn our hearts and our lives towards you right now. Lord, I know that sometimes things are difficult for us. You said you would never leave us and you'd never forsake us. You said that you would be a friend that sticks closer than a brother. So right now, God, I pray that you'd wrap your arms of grace and love around that one that's here today that feels like they just don't fit, like they just don't belong, like they just don't have a place. And I pray they'd hear your whisper say, you're in the right place, you're at the right time, got the right people. Thank you, Jesus. With every every head still bowed and every eye still closed, I wonder if there's someone in the room today for you, you know your next step is to surrender to God. Say, God, I, I, I believe that you really want me. And God, I really do want you to be the Lord of my life. If that's you, everyone else's head is bowed and they can't see you. Would you just put your hand up so I can see you if you're in the room? There we go. I see that. I see that. Yes. What we're going to do is just a simple, we call it a prayer of repentance. The Bible describes it like this. We repent and believe. 
So repenting is we're gonna turn away from our old self and our old way of thinking. And then we're gonna believe in the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. So join me right now. Father, forgive me. God, forgive me for doing things my own way and, and, and walking my own path. I want my life to please you. So right now I'm turning away from my old ways, especially my old ways of thinking. I'm leaving them behind and God, I'm turning towards you. And I'm trusting that Jesus is the answer that I need. So Jesus, come fill every void that was left in my life. Come be the source of strength that I've been needing. Jesus, come be my Lord. Be my God. I receive you. And I'm going to follow you every day. Here's what the Bible says. Church family, the Bible says that there's more rejoicing in heaven right now over one person that repents than 99 people who feel like they have no need to repent. So why don't we give them a hand all across the room. You guys did. That's good. You just made the biggest decision of your life to say, Jesus, come be my Lord. Come be my God. Praise the Lord. Let's worship the Lord. Again, worship is not... Um, This isn't appropriate, but I'm just going to throw this up real quick. Can you throw that meme up there? I don't know if you guys saw this. This uh, says, Bob Jones told, I'm not quite sure, but he's like one of these prophecy teachers. And the Bible says, make, make, speak ill of no prophecy. He says, Bob Jones told me at least 10 times, when the Chiefs win the Super Bowl, you will know the revival is about to come and God is raising up his apostolic Chiefs. So I'm just saying, like, whoever you're rooting for today, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Hey, why don't we worship the Lord together? Get out of your comfort zone. Worship is a skill. It's not a feeling. So raise your hands towards heaven. Sing with a loud voice. Move a little bit. Enjoy yourself. You were made to move. He said, I don't do that. No, you're going to do that this afternoon when they score a touchdown. So let's worship the Lord. Thanks again for listening to the message today. I know God has been speaking to some of you, working in your life, and I want to encourage you to take the next step. Respond to what God is doing. And if you're not sure what that is, bring someone into the conversation. We would love to help you with your next steps. You can email us, reach out to us on social media, or better yet, just come meet us on a Sunday morning. If you want to find out more, go to our website, thecelebration.church. On that note, let's continue to love God, love people, and change the world.